All right, church, you may be seated. Take your Bibles to the book of James chapter 2. James chapter 2, it is great to see you in the house of God. And this summer, I am excited. We have, I tell you, so many opportunities to impact and declare the name of Jesus, uh, not only here in the Triangle, and, uh, but also around the world. Uh, our mission team from Nicaragua got back uh, just a few days ago, and we are so excited. Uh, next Sunday morning, we'll be sharing uh, testimonies from our mission trip to Nicaragua, and God did some amazing things. Uh, several of those were very first-timers. This was their first time going on a mission trip. Uh, one person on the team said that they had been uh, wanting to go on a mission team for 20 years, and finally, uh, all of the planets aligned, and I'm just playing. Uh, sometimes you never know what it is that is holding a person back. Maybe it's, maybe there's some fear. Maybe there's some anxiety. Uh, maybe it's the fact that you've got young kids at home. And uh, I know for years, my wife and I were unable to travel together. And then uh, when she did travel, uh, our, our twins were very young, and we paid for it for about a month after that, uh, trying to get them back on schedule. And uh, so I know sometimes as uh, mom or even mom and dad, it's difficult to get away when their kids are little. Uh, we are, have a team going to Romania three weeks from today, and uh, one of those people said, I can finally go on a trip. Uh, my kids are at the age I can get away, and, and so we're looking forward to uh, going to Romania. But next Sunday, uh, missionary uh, uh, testimonies from uh, Nicaragua. I'll be preaching from James chapter 3 uh, in the service, and then also some uh, recap and testimonies from uh, summer camp. Be praying this week as our uh, teenagers leave for summer camp early tomorrow morning. And uh, I tell you, don't underestimate what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in the lives of these teenagers. So if mom and dad, uh, church family, uh, bathe these kids in prayer. Uh, we're hoping they actually bathe while they're at camp. But uh, we're, we're praying that, uh, I, I told some of the youth leaders, I was like, make sure, you know, even if they don't think they need a, a shower or a bath, they do. I mean, uh, and, and I remember all of those years as a student pastor, there were some kids, I'm like, you know what, we're going to donate your clothes or your shoes uh, to the uh, underprivileged youth that will be here at camp next week because they reek. I mean, they absolutely stink. I mean, sometimes you'd go on summer camp and it would rain the entire week and those kids have not taken those tennis shoes off once. Uh, they've been in the river, they've been in the lake, they've been in the pool, wherever, they've always had those shoes on, and you're like, ain't riding in my van. I mean, those shoes are not coming in this van. You'll walk off barefoot when you meet your parents, but I'm playing with it. But uh, great times, and we're looking forward to uh, just hearing what God does at camp, and I'll be praying for the Romania team that's preparing. We'll be doing uh, vacation Bible schools, uh, two different two-day VBSs in Romania. And I'm looking forward to preaching this morning without an interpreter. Uh, a couple of Sundays ago, my team got to watch me uh, preaching through an interpreter. And uh, I tell you, you can't get you start getting excited and, and wound up uh, as you're delivering your message. And you got to pause and wait for them to deliver. And there was a couple times my interpreter looked at me and I looked at them. I wasn't sure which word they didn't understand. And, you know, when you speak southern English, it's maybe a little different in, in certain places. But... We're excited. You know, over the last uh, month, I've had the opportunity to fly a, a couple of times. Our family, my dad took our family on vacation to Yellowstone. And uh, so we got a chance to travel out there. And then we went to uh, Nicaragua uh, a week ago uh, for ministry. And if you notice when you enter the plane, the first several rows are 
what you would call first class. Now, I've never had the opportunity uh, or the, the funding to, uh, to fly first class, but you always, anybody pass those people and you get a little envious, they're like, man, they're having like caviar and I mean, they've got the whole spread going on over there and you're like, I'm just hoping I get the cookies and not the pretzels, you know what I mean? I'm just hoping they actually give me the whole can of, of Diet Coke and not just the, a half a can, just in the little, the little cup and you, you pass those first class, uh, first class passengers and once you get in the air, something magically happens. They, they close those curtains. And uh, you, there's the haves and the have-nots. Uh, those that are in the front, they're having dinner. And you're not. I mean, uh, they're having some good food. And, and they have a, all these beverages and all these other things. And, but you get in there, and you're not supposed to walk into the first-class cabin. I mean, that bathroom is for the 12 people sitting in the front of the plane. No one else, all right? The rest of you start trekking to the back. I mean, we're going to sit in the commoner section, and, and that's where we go, and we hopefully we get some cookies and all of that. But those people pay a lot of money for those seats. Over the years of traveling on some of these mission trips, there's been a couple of times that I got on a plane, and I realized that one of the people in first class was the senior pastor of a church whose entire mission team is sitting in the back of the plane. Now, I don't know how you would feel, but I'm starting to feel like one of these is not like the other. I mean, and you walk past them and they're sitting there, they're, you know, they're sipping their drink and they're, they're eating their uh, uh, charcuterie board they've got sitting on their tray and, and they're having, you know, all these nice uh, foods and and all these things, and we're walking to the back and going, ain't nothing going to happen on this flight. I mean, this is going to be, I mean, and you're pat, and they're walking right past that pastor. And I, I'll be honest, every time I have the same feeling, I'm like, what must that be like to be sitting there and the pastor's got that wave like they're in a, a parade or something as all of his parishioners go past him to the, the cheap seats in the, in the back of the plane. I'll be honest, I couldn't do that. I mean, I just couldn't do it even if you paid for me to fly first class. I probably wouldn't do it on a mission trip because it just feels odd. It feels, something feels not right about it. And this morning as we talk about favoritism, I want us to think about what James is talking about. He says, be careful that you don't play favorites in church life because if you're not careful, you can make judgments based on someone's appearance or what you think they have to offer, and yet God doesn't play favorites. But we're also going to delve into faith and what it means to have a faith in God that is legitimate, that's authentic. Folks, our faith is going to be evidenced in our works and how we get involved in serving God. So let's dive right into our text, James chapter 2 this morning. It says in verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. He said, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But have you not dishonored the poor man and not the rich, the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? 
He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin or convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, it says, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Verse 12 says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy. To one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning? God, would you allow us to set aside any distraction of our, our day, of our week, of this month? God, and just focus this morning on the words of, uh, of James as he's writing here to the church and challenging us and encouraging us. God, not to show favoritism, not to, not to be caught up in, in, in partiality, and, but God, to treat each other with respect, with love, with dignity. Uh, Lord, as a child of God, God, would you speak to our hearts this morning? God, help us to leave this morning being challenged in our faith, and our faith that it may have action behind it, and works that prove that the relationship we say we have with God is genuine and authentic. God, would you do a mighty work for those that do not know you as Lord and Savior? God, may this morning be that moment that they understand their need of salvation. God, may they see something sincere or genuine about the faith of those in this church, God, and would help them to desire to know you and have a personal, intimate relationship with you. And for that, we'll give you the praise and honor and glory. In your precious name we pray. I love God's people, Sim. Amen. James says, he starts off saying, it's don't play favorites. In other words, he's saying, just like the pastor sitting in first class, and I'm not passing judgment, I don't know, some member of their church may have had a million miles and said, Pastor, we're going to bless you, and I give you all these miles, and you're going to sit in first class. I'm not saying he was wrong, I'm just saying, I don't know that I could do that. I think I'd feel a little... Empire. I think you'd feel a little bit weird about that whole position, but James is reminding us just don't play favorites. I'm certainly thankful God doesn't play favorites this morning. If he did, you and I would not be saved. If, if Christ played favorites, you and I would not have the, the, the privilege of knowing Jesus, and Christ would have died for the sins of the entire world. He would have drew, died, died for his chosen people, for the Jewish people. But folks, we'd have been left out. But God loves the entire world. He sent his son Jesus to redeem the sins of the entire world. And folks, not just a select few. His grace is sufficient for all our sins. Do you believe that this morning? His grace is more than sufficient so this morning, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your history, your past, whatever it is that often tends to plague us. And sometimes we go through life thinking, I don't believe that God could possibly forgive what I've done. Pastor, if you only knew, God does. And yet, he still loves us. He knew you before the foundation of the earth, and he still loves you. And God is absolutely impartial in his dealing with mankind. He's not like us. We tend to gravitate toward people that are like us. The old saying, birds of a feather tend to flock together. And it's true. You go into a, a crowded room of people you don't know. Do you realize within moments you'll find people that are just like you? 
You will. You'll find people that are just like you. So how is that? Well, some of you might have a, a, a baseball hat on and and you're like, hey, I like that team. You've got a New York shirt on. And you're like, kind of, it's a dead giveaway. I mean, people flock. So those that are NC State fans, I mean, I, I, where is, Kim? I don't know if Kim Miller's here this morning, but she, she sent Pastor Omar an NC State shirt. And he shows up one day for ministry with a giant wolf pack on his T-shirt. And I'm like, hold on. I mean, I know who puts you up to this. I said, Kim Miller is behind this. And he started laughing. And, and uh, he was telling, and she had had a great time doing that. And I said, I'm not sure we can, and God can bless in this environment. But I mean, I was severely outnumbered as I, almost everybody that commented were like, go Kim, go Wolfpack. I mean, they were, they were doing all this stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm going, what, what happened here? What, we lost control of the situation. But, you know, the reality is, is you'll find people that have something in common, wherever you're a Hurricanes fan or from New York or from Florida or from California, you'll, you'll find people that have something in common with you. And we tend to gravitate towards people that are like us. This week, we spent a few days uh, in the mountains as a family, and uh, one day we went to a thrift store, and we've gone there several times, and this thrift store has, it's just like a cult following, but they have... A certain day that they reopened, they're closed over the weekend, and they reopen on Tuesday. Well, Tuesday was the fourth, so it was closed on Tuesday, but it reopens on the on Wednesday. And and uh, I like a bargain. I like finding a good deal. And so we go and we get in line to open to go into this store as it's reopening, and it's it's a big deal. And there's like 30 people in front of us, and I'm sitting here going. These people are nuts, but I'm one of them. <laughs> I'm standing in the same line, you know. And this lady looks over at me, and she kind of, like, cups her hand to her mouth, and she was like, you're not from around here, are you? She looked at my kids, and I, Crystal was there, too. And uh, I said, uh, is it that obvious? And she was like, y'all are clean. I don't even know what to make of all this. I was sitting here going, what just happened? I mean, we lost control of the whole situation. She said, you have all nice clothes. You're obviously not from around here. And we were in a small mountain town, so maybe it's because we had our teeth all intact. I don't know, but I'm totally playing with it. Anyway, she was saying, she said, you're not from around here. And I said, we're actually from Raleigh. She said, I knew it. <laughs> you're not from around here. She said, you're way too clean and your clothes are too nice. And she's like, you're not a local here in this town. And I didn't even know how to take that. I was like, is that an insult? Is it a backhanded comment where you're like, I don't know if I was insulted or, or, or complimented. But either way, we, we got in line and she said, you're not from around here. And she, she recognized that. As human beings, we naturally tend to divide people up based on our looks, based on maybe our a season of life. We find people that are maybe in the same age group, or maybe it's a, a race or ethnicity or a social status, a, a power, a, a what school you graduated from. In fact, if you find out someone from your hometown, the first question you say, what school high school did you graduate from? And you, you start... you. And I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm just saying we do that naturally. It's not, uh, it, it's, it's just part of who we are. If you served in the military, you ask what branch. And if, you know, if you're the Marines, you have a certain, you know, uh, 
I don't even know the sound that they make, but it, they, some kind of a grunt they make. And anyway, that's part of it. But there's a certain thing that plays into it. James is saying, though, he says, don't play favorites. We don't, you don't think it really happens. But think about this morning if we were to divide up for basketball. So we're going to have a pickup game of basketball. And Matt's one of the captains. And uh, Jackson likes to play basketball. He's one of the captains. You know what they start doing? They're, they're sizing up the competition. They're sizing up the people in the room. I mean, you've all played middle school uh, playground sports. And you're coming up with a baseball team. And you're trying to see who... Or a football team who's, who's got an arm that they can throw or who, who can, looks like they can play. And you don't want to be the last person chosen on the team. I mean, and you also don't want the person who looks like they've never gotten off the couch, you know. You don't want the person who looks like there's no athletic skill or ability. And so you're looking for someone who's got skill. They've got games, so to speak. And, and we're looking for that type of situation. James says there's no room for partiality in the church. The man with the gold ring, the fancy clothes, the one who drives the Bentley, they shouldn't be treated any different than those who have tattered clothes, those who walk or ride a bike to church, those who take public transportation. Don't give preferential treatment to those who make more money or those who may be needing assistance. James says in verse 4, when you play favorites, you're becoming a judge with evil thoughts and that's one reason I don't want to know how much anyone gives in the church you know why I don't want to look at you any differently and folks you say oh pastor that's no big deal but the reality is it will persuade you if you're not careful you can be drawn to certain things and and folks I don't want to think any differently of any person it's sad but many places we go on mission trips different social and economic classes won't even worship in the same church. Say, so, Pastor, what do you mean? There are churches in Nicaragua that will never reach more than the lowest class, the poorest people. And you say, why is that? The gospel supersedes all of that. Yes, it does. But there are customs, and different classes don't come together. And they don't coincide. They don't congregate. They don't come together. And you go to India, you, you will never put a very poor person and a very wealthy person in the same congregation. And say, is it wrong? Absolutely, it's wrong all day long. I've watched how they treat widows in some of these contexts. And folks, the reality is, in an Indian church, if you were a widow, you were sitting in the back row. Some of you are like, well, I'm good with that. I sit on the back row every Sunday. But imagine that being the only seat you can sit on. Kind of changes the game. They like to wear flowers in their hair. But if you're a widow, you can't wear a flower in your hair because you are a burden on society. And years ago when they would incinerate a body they would throw in the the the, de the wife who's still alive and and incinerate her body too because it was a, a burden or a hardship on the society or the culture i'm just telling you it's not the same in every place and so when you gather you see people coming together they don't commune in fact in certain places you can tell your social status by the color of your skin 
And a lighter tone or a darker tone will signify different things. And there's different social classes, and they do not mix. James says that all believers in Christ Jesus should be treated exactly the same. There's one clear distinction in Christianity. All of us are level at the foot of the cross. All of us are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Folks, your sin is not less than mine. It's not greater than mine. Folks, we are all desperately in need of a touch from God. We're in need of a touch from heaven. So at the foot of the cross, Jew and Gentile, bond and free are all equal at the cross. Jesus loves each one of us the same. I want you to hear this this morning and listen. Male and female, old and young, rich and poor, fat and skinny, we're all equal. So if we're judging for a basketball team, we're all equal. Black, white, Brown, Yankee, Southerner, Midwesterner, West Coaster, we're all equal. Citizen, immigrant, straight, gay, Democrat, Republican, independent, means you can't make up your mind. Oh, I'm just kidding. Baptist, Catholic, Methodist. God loves every single one of us the same. Aren't you thankful for that? Let's give the Lord. Woo! See, sometimes what happens is you start there in that male, female, I can clap for that. You start getting into different territories. I don't know, Pastor. I don't know, God likes does he like a republican and a democrat the same does he does he like a, a yankee and a southerner the uh, uh, certainly not a west coast i mean uh, i'm just saying what happens is if we're not careful we tend to divide people into categories and we start saying there's no way god could we're all level at the foot of the cross james says don't play favorites. He died on the cross for the sins of the entire world. So James says, don't play favorites. After C.S. Lewis became a Christian, he decided it would be appropriate for him to join a local New Testament church. There he found himself in the company of the very collection of his neighbors he had formerly sought diligently to avoid. Some of you are saying, that's me. The local grocer came beside him to offer him book. He looked around and saw a man with boots that squeaked and it annoyed him. The woman in front of him had a ridiculous hat on. The man behind him sounded off-key or sang off-key. He found himself drawing unwarranted conclusions that these people's faith must be ridiculous. Only later he learned that some were very devout, valiant Christians whom Satan himself had need fear. See, well, if we're not careful, we can look around and boy, man, that person looks like 
I mean, they are uh, the pillar of the assembly. They look like they are the, the foundation on which this church was, was built and established. And, and that person looks like, boy, they need an encounter with Jesus in a serious, serious way. And folks, if we're not careful, we can start passing judgment saying, well, that person, look at all of their tattoos. I mean, how could God possibly... He loves us all the same. Well, look how many times they've been married. Jesus looked at the woman at the well and said, go and sin no more. He could have spent more time there saying, well, the guy, yeah, you've been married all these times, and the one you're currently hitched up with is not your husband. But he said, go and sin. He called her to a, a better life. He called her to life eternal. And he, folks, if we're not careful, Christians can easily get in the process of, uh, of choosing favorites or showing partiality. Verse 5, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? What is he saying? He says, there is something about a child of God. He says, We've been given heirs to the, as heirs of the kingdom of God. God often chose the poor of this world. It was the type of a spiritual paradox. And James points out, he says, in general, he says, the poor are more spiritually advantaged. He says, our Lord chose to be born to a poor virgin girl named Mary from an obscure town that was considered backwoods and possibly She came from a redneck town. I mean, no one good would possibly come from this town. And, and yet, that's who Jesus chose. Jesus began his earthly ministry in a synagogue in Nazareth. He took up the words of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to who, church? The poor. He had sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, those that are the most needy are the ones that often would gravitate towards the gospel because they were realized, I'm desperate without a relationship with God. I'm desperate without a touch from the master's hand. The woman with an issue of blood who had been sick for many years and used all of her wealth to, to, to try to get healed, reached out and touched the hem of the garment of our Savior as he's passing through and receives healing. Blind Bartimaeus is sitting there begging at the, at the gates of the city and, and Jesus radically transformed him as the, um, all throughout the, uh, the New Testament, as Jesus would go from, mini from ministry to ministry, to city to city, to town to town, he would encounter people who were possessed with demons, who were desperately in need of a touch from the Lord, and he transformed their lives. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians verse 21, verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers, for there's not many of you who are wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to, thing, not, 
the things that are not, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, the ones with the most charisma, those that have the most to offer, are often the ones that God can't do anything with. The ones that think, hey, I'm the star player. I'm the first round, the first draft pick. Folks, what happens is those are the ones that are oftentimes too full of themselves. God can't do anything with them. God's looking for those who he can pour his spirit into. That the Holy Spirit of God, as it descends upon their life, will, will, will fall in love with Jesus. And the, the overflow of what God is doing begins to make such an impact that they're doing great things for the cause of the, the kingdom of God. God begins to do great things through their lives. And he says God most often uses the least of these to accomplish his plans. The disciples that Jesus chose. Do a little research on them. Tax collectors, not well respected. Fishermen, not highest on the list. I mean, you start going through the list. I mean, it was a list of misfits. And yet, those are the very ones that Jesus says, hey, by the way, I want you to come and follow me. I want you to come and be fishers of men. I'm going to teach you how to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And Jesus reminds them in verses 8 and 9 of our text. He says, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, he says, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Discrimination and favoritism is spiritually irrational. And as a child of the king, we cannot view ourselves as better than another. We're all sinners in desperate need of a savior. But then he goes on to the second part of this chapter, and we're going to move quickly. He says in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, one of you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So it's also faith by itself. If it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? He says, you do well. Even the demons believe in shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, what faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture that was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and was counted to him as what, church? Righteousness. He was called a friend of God. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James says faith without works is dead faith without works is completely dead he says we're folks we're living in a time when people don't want the parent the, the faith of their parents they don't want the faith of their grandparents in fact i've even heard of churches say this ain't your grandma's church this ain't your grandfather's church well 
buckle up. Maybe that's not the church for you. The reality is, is we've strayed so far from the faith, the, the, those who have gone before us. Folks, people are running from the church. They don't want church. They, they don't see something that's authentic. They want church light. I read an advertisement recently. It said, for church light, it says, 24% fewer commitments, home of the 7.5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services, and only eight commandments, your choice. Everything you ever wanted in a church and less. Folks, the reality is, is that was a few years ago. Fast forward to 2023 where we're at today. You can have online virtual church. All right? You can have it in your pajamas if you want to. You don't even have to get out of bed this morning. You can cut it off whenever you want to. Uh, and sometimes you wonder, like, that before the conviction gets pretty far, you can just, you know, whoop, hit the remote and turn it off, you know. I don't have to listen to anything. I don't have, if the music's too loud, I just turn it down. If I don't feel, if I start to feel guilty, I can turn it off. If it's time for the offering, I don't have to give anything and know what's going to know. Just the other day, someone asked me, Pastor, does a person have to go to church in order to be saved? You realize this, James is dealing with exactly that same thing right here. Same question. Can a person be saved and not go to church? Can they have faith but no works? Is that even possible? Paul wrote about faith and works in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, it's not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may, what church, boast. One could easily determine that there's a contradiction between the Apostle Paul and James. However, there's no contradiction at all. Paul's teaching about faith and works focuses on the time leading up to salvation, before a person gets saved. He says, but James is focusing on the time after salvation. Douglas Moo put it this way. He said, Paul denies any efficacy to pre-conversion works, but James is pleading for an absolute necessity for post-conversion works. There ought to be a difference in your life once you get saved. When people say, a church is a come as you are. It is. But folks, if you leave the same as you came, you didn't really get saved. If nothing has changed in your life, if there's not a life change, a life transformation, if you can hear the preaching and teaching of the word and not be moved to action, church, you may not truly be saved. You have to have a work of the Holy Spirit. Paul faced the tradition of the church, of uh, the Jewish synagogue. Paul fought against tradition that promoted a false works salvation, while James fought against a light faith that sought to minimize the necessity of works after salvation. Paul faced the tradition of the Jews where they prided themselves on their pedigree. Look at my heritage. Look at it. I can quote all of these catechisms. Look at all the things I've said, I've done, I've prayed, I've done all these things. Paul faced the tradition of the Jews and the good works. James faced the new growth of the early church that sought to get by with the least possible amount of commitment. 
Sounds just like 2023. James said in verse 17, he says, also faith by itself. If it does not have works, it's what, church? It's dead. There's got to be evidence. If it does not have works, it, it, it's dead. So does a person have to go to church to be a Christian? Let me answer this in a, in a two-part way. The answer is no, but hold on. There are many people that cannot physically go to church. There are people that are homebound. My mom was there for the last several months of her life. You know what? She was miserable that she couldn't go to church. She begged God, please let me go one more time to church. And even as she battled cancer and back surgeries and the pandemic, she did everything she could possibly do to get to church, folks. But there are people that are homebound. There are people that are in a nursing home. There are people that have low immune systems that can't get into crowds. But let me say that number is very, very low. And most of those people would give anything to be a part of a local church. However, a person who is truly saved will desire to be a part of a local church body. And one who is it is not living in right relationship and will be most miserable. Now I realize I'm preaching to the choir. You're sitting in church this morning. Do you realize the people in the last four years that have gotten used to online virtual church doesn't bother them anymore? I've kind of got used to a pastor. <laughs> I can get up and get a cup of coffee. During the, between the second and the third song, I mean, there's going to be a little chatter talk in there. I mean, Matt didn't even have his guitar on when it was time to start this morning, so I mean, I'm still getting my coffee ready. I mean, just take your time. I mean, you know, I get done a little early. I'm going to, I'm putting some steaks on the grill. I'm catching a little bit of the sermon, a little bit of this. and we're, we're, We've gotten so comfortable, I'm afraid there's a lot of people that, aren't even, don't even miss it any longer. And the reality is this morning, you have to wonder is, do they truly know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Or did they just pray a little prayer as a seven-year-old? Did they just get baptized and think, well, Pastor David, my name is on the roll at the church, but there was no genuine life change in their life. Folks, if you truly know Christ, you're going to desire to be a part of a local church and to know him, to have a fellowship, to serve. It, it flushes out. I love this morning watching new believers in our church out serving, setting up, shaking hands, greeting, leading, playing, a new member playing the bass guitar, singing, sharing scripture on stage, folks. That is what happens when you truly know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can't wait to serve. You can't wait to plug in. You can't wait for God to use you. And folks, as I watched people on that mission team in Nicaragua just weep as they talked about, I've prayed, I've wanted to be a part of something like this for years. And God finally opened that door. He made it possible. You know what I say to the rest of you that aren't able to go this year? Get your passports now. Don't wait till next summer or next year. 
go ahead and get them. So when the opportunity comes, you're like, I'm there, Pastor, it's me. Sign me up. I said, so next year might be India. Sign you up. I mean, let's, let's go. Let's, let's, let's do what God's called us to do. Let's declare. When we got over there, I said, I told our team, I said, you know what we talk about? The ends of the earth. We're going there this week. You're going to see what the ends of the earth look like. I baptized at the ends of the earth. <laughs> a couple Saturdays ago, I stepped my foot in a, a, a lagoon, a, a pond in, in Nicaragua. I mean, that was not how it was supposed to happen. And all the teaching and preaching I do with mission teams, I'm like, be flexible. Be prepared for any, except for snakes in a pond. I mean, God couldn't possibly be behind that. And, and as I was sitting there uh, looking at these people that were lined up to get baptized, and they're all like, Chop, chop, let's go. I mean, let's get in the water and get this thing done. And Pastor Omar looks at me and he says, do you want me to go in the water with you? I said, I ain't going in the water without you. <laughs> I'm following you. <laughs> so you go ahead and take that first step into this pond and I'll be right shortly behind you. And as he put it, as he's walked on out there acting like it was no big deal, and I'm sitting here going, this defies everything in fiber in my body. I mean, and a couple of them had pictures of me. I mean, I had this look on my face like, there ain't no way in the world. And I, I stepped that first foot in that water, and the rest, I was just walking on it. You know, I wasn't going anywhere near inside that water. But the Lord took care of it all. And you know what he did? He had a, a truck run into the ditch. And all, there was like 30-some workers, there was a gold mine. I'm sitting here going, why don't we have like a Taj Mahal church? There's a gold mine, a literal gold mine. They're mining for gold. All the workers come out, and they all sat there and watched me baptize. They're probably thinking, what are these white people doing out there in that water? <laughs> they stupid. I mean, they're crazy. They have lost their minds. But I walked out there in that water. My wife said, just leave those clothes behind. Don't bring any of that stuff home. I don't want to have to deal with the smell. But, uh, but I walked out there, and 30-some men are standing around the pond watching identification with Jesus in death burial and resurrection as I told our team this is what declaring the name of Jesus and the triangle in the world this is what it looks like you know what I told the church as I preached in in Madagalpa I said Pastor Omar comes to Raleigh when he comes to Raleigh, that's what the ends of the earth looks like to him. He looks at us and goes, these people eat some weird food. I mean, I'm talking, well, our team was so tired of rice and beans. And not just rice or beans, rice and beans mixed together, gaia pinto. And I was like, it was awesome, I love it. But breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three meals a day by day five, you're like, uh-uh. I can't hit my limit. I said, I won't eat rice for six months, maybe a year. I mean, but you know, the reality is you come at, it's about reaching people with the glorious gospel. A person who's truly saved will desire to want to be a part of a local church. You could say, Pastor, I just, I like Jesus, but I just don't like the church. 
You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. You can't. There's no perfect church, and if you find one, please don't join it. You will absolutely ruin it. James points out the verses that true faith requires compassion. It requires action. James goes on to give us Old Testament examples. He says, Abraham and Rahab were both justified by their faith and their works. I think it's interesting to note that both of these are also recorded in the Hall of Faith. And we're in the book of James. Go back just a couple chapters into Hebrews chapter 11. As you look at all the people listed in the Hall of Faith, Abraham is at the begin, towards the beginning of the list. Rahab's towards the end of the list. A harlot made the list as those who were faithful. And folks, it's not a coincidence. Their faith was made evident by their works. James wraps up in verse 26. He says, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is what, church? Dead. You can't have the one without the other. An old Scotsman operated a little rowboat for transporting passengers. One day a passenger noticed that the old man had carved on one oar the word faith. On the other oar he had carved the word works. Curiosity led him to ask the meaning of those oars. The old man was a well-balanced Christian and glad for the opportunity to testify said, let me show you. He dropped one oar and he plied the other oar called works and began to plow that oar. The boat just began to go in circles. Put that oar down, he grabbed the other one called faith, began to plow that one and it did the exact opposite. The boat started circling the opposite direction. They went absolutely nowhere. After this demonstration, the man picked up faith and works, plying both oars together, sped swiftly over the water, explaining to his inquiring passenger, you see, that is the way it is in the Christian life. Dead works without faith are useless. And faith without works is dead also, getting you nowhere. He says, but faith and works pulling together make for safety, progress, and blessing. You can't have one without the other. If you truly know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's not going to just be something you say you possess. It will be something that's demonstrated in the way you live as a Christian. It will radically transform your life. So, Pastor, what's the application? God doesn't show partiality. He loves the whole world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for all of our sins. And he does not discriminate. As a follower of Jesus, we must not show favoritism toward those who might be like us. Loving those who are less than is actually more Christ-like. One of the marks of a true believer of Jesus is our love for one another. This morning, may the church be known for loving our neighbor, the less fortunate. Loving those who have been cast aside, those who are forgotten. Those who are the outcast of society. James reminds us, he says, 
Love the widow. Love the orphan. It's part of the components of an authentic Christian faith. He says faith apart from works equals nothing more than religion. A head knowledge of God will yield only an educational experience and religiosity. But a heart knowledge of God will yield a relationship with God that brings forth fruit and good works. You truly encounter Jesus Christ, you can't contain it. It overflows in every area of our life. Your relationships at home, with your spouse, with your children. Folks, that's not, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit of God living in me, helping me to be the, the man I ought to be, the, the husband I ought to be, the, the dad I ought to be, the, the father that ought to be. Folks, it helps me to be a better worker at, in my job. It helps me. It's not just me. It's the Holy Spirit of God working through me. It helps me to be a, a better neighbor. It helps me to be a better person, a better citizen of this city, of this country. Folks, it changes everything about who I am. Helps me to be a better church member because I want to get there early so that I can meet people. I can encourage people. I can pat people on the back and let them know it's good to see them, to give them a handshake or a hug and let them know, hey, I've missed you or I've been praying for you or it's great to see you back from your mission trip or I'm praying for you next week while you're at camp or I'm praying for the Kids Blast. We have almost 100 people registered, pre-registered for Kids Blast. Can I just say, if you haven't already registered, register today. Get registered because we're gearing up for one of the greatest weeks of ministry the entire year. Next weekend. No, excuse me, two weekends away. Two weeks out. So yeah, two weeks. Let's, let's pray that God does something so supernatural that this community of Southern Wake County encounters a relationship with Jesus. They see people that aren't looking down on them. You ever see, I don't wear readers, I have on contacts, but people that put those glasses on the tip of their nose just kind of looking down at you like you peon you commoner you peasant no that's all not be the way that the church is perceived it ought to be open arms we love you god loves you we desire to have a relationship with we want to get to know you if we can encourage you we can help you we can support you if we can come alongside of you as a family we want to encourage parents that sunday on the 23rd you be praying that god speaks to hearts of parents who bring their kids out and that they get under the sound of the gospel and desire to place their faith and trust in jesus our desire ought to be that God is doing such a work in us that our works, our fruit, points others toward a right relationship with Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning?